Blog Talk Radio. another Wednesday night. Before we start the show, Frank has a dedication. Frank, take it away, sir. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'd like to ask you just for a, to take a moment of silent uh, or a prayer. Uh, there's a young lady. Her name is uh, Margaret Wilson. 
She was a um, B cop at the 42nd Precinct in um, New York City. Uh, she collapsed and died on the, on the job at, right after roll call. The, uh, in, the important thing to hear is that uh, Margaret had given uh, uh, 32 years to the department. She also brought up a son who was a sergeant, a daughter who was a sergeant, and their sister who was a sergeant. So to their family, we, uh, we send out our deepest regrets. Wow, just, that's just so sad, Frank, when you think about it, the way this this country is going this way and that. So I'd like to, it, well, we'll dedicate the show, and she's in a better spot than we are right now. We strive for getting at that spot, Frank. You know that, and everybody knows that. So, And I'd like to walk of our, our legend, as always, uh, from Jersey Shore slash Sarasota, Mr. Don Henderson from the ATL. Mr. Roger Hendler from Tampa Bay, Mr. Ward Cummings, and, and Mr. Frank Carroll down there in the Dallas. Roy, before, let me start the show with a funny, a funny story. Remember we had Mr. Albert Kaufman on about the, telling the golf story about the sand cranes, right? Well, I was playing, <laughs> Indeed. Sunday, I was playing Sunday at the Hernando Oaks, and guess, my, guess where my ball landed? Next to a sand crane. I said, when a move, bird moved. So he stood there and said, oh, I'm going to go to the other side of the fairway and hit the ball. And little did I know that bird was went on the green and the ball was hit him. <laughs> so round two with the sand cranes go to, go to sand crane. But I just want to tell you that funny story before we started the show. You <laughs> see one move. Oh, God, I still remember that play, Roy. He said that bird took 50 yards off his drive. <laughs> Yeah, so a, few, a few sand cranes have uh, paid the price for our Aaron shots out on the golf course, that's for sure. Mine almost the other day, but but a lot of things going on. Uh, Bucks got a second string quarterback at the under Mr. Tom Brady. That was the it's surprising thing about that thing is Roy, he, he saved Tom Brady during that victory celebration. He held him up half the time. <laughs> and, he, and the Bucks signed this gentleman to a, a one-year deal to be under Tom Brady this year. So, where to go? Yeah, to Ryan Griffin, Bay? who's uh, been with the Bucks for several years now, uh, about four, boy, it might be going on five years now that he's been with them. He's right. been a uh, backup that they've kind of been grooming for a while. And, uh, hey, you know what? Tom Brady's got to have his wingman. So, um, so uh, <laughs> they bring, in, bring back Ryan Griffin. I think... Um, you know, it's, it's yet to be seen if he's going to be the true backup. Uh, I think the Bucks will probably draft a quarterback um, in a week mm-hmm. from now. Um, next weekend, my guess is. I, I think they will. Um, you know, it's possible they could even spend their first-round pick on, on a quarterback. Um, you know, if somebody like a Kyle Trask falls uh, to that spot, which he very well could, probably should. Um, you know, he's probably a guy you ideally take in the second or third round, maybe even mm-hmm. the third round, but you know, the way uh, teams overprice quarterbacks these days, good chance that a guy like Kyle Fast would be there in the first for him. Um, but they might take somebody else. I think they're looking at the position for sure. Um, I think they'd probably rather spend a second or third pick, but uh, just the way they've handled the whole backup spot behind Tom Brady this offseason, um, not signing Ryan Griffin until just now, um, you know, they've, they've kind of really just ignored that position ever since they signed Tom Brady. So my guess is, uh, they're looking to see what's available to them in the draft. We'll see how that shakes out for them. 
Roy, let's talk a little bit about present day because uh, the Rays just finished a tremendous series at Yankee Stadium. Then they took the plane out to Kansas City, and they're continuing with just outstanding play. Scored a lot of runs last night. Didn't have to score that many runs against the Yankees because they couldn't hit. But I want to tell you, the Rays are really the talk of Major League Baseball right now. Yeah, they have. Uh, they've suddenly because the bats have come to life for them is uh, is really what's helped is that uh, you know they got up there and uh, the pitching has been solid uh, as you expect, but um, certainly uh, the bats have come to life for them. Uh, and you know what? I'll tell you what against the Kansas City team that was was doing a pretty good job, especially in the bullpen. Um, they weren't uh, they hadn't lost a series yet going into the, the their series with the Rays. And um, but the Rays figured them out in a hurry. Of course, cold weather will do that for you. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll give the uh, the hitters a bit of an edge, even though you, if you don't hit it just right, it's going to be tough on your hands. But it's very hard for pitchers to get a feel for their, uh, especially um, any kind of pitch that has uh, any kind of a break to it, curveball, slider, uh, even two seamers and splitters, that kind of thing. Very hard to get a feel for those pitches in the, in the cold weather. And uh, the Rays took advantage. So um, good for them. It's a uh, it's a team that I still think is going to be in the mix. Uh, look, as long as you, if you've got some kind of mastery over the Yankees, uh, mm-hmm. certainly in the AL East, you've got a chance to win that division. And the Rays seem to have that right now. So they got that going yes. for them. Uh, surprise, surprise, the, the Red Sox uh, arguably could be the best team in the American League right now. Um, so we'll see how it all shakes out at the end of the day. But, uh, yeah, right now the Rays are, uh, are starting to play baseball the way uh, they were at the end of last year through the playoffs. So uh, that's a good sign for the folks here in Tampa, for sure. Roger, your Phil's pulled one out this afternoon. Uh, let's jump in with your conversation. Well, they, they should have won three games instead of just one out of the three. <coughs> Excuse me, against the former manager, the despised uh, Kabler. Uh, the, a lot, lot of protests at the ballpark. Nobody likes the guy. Didn't like. There's one radio uh, WIP uh, personality who does like him. He's crazy. I always thought he was crazy anyway. So now I know it because anybody that can uh, think that Gabe Kadler is a good manager is in. I they got to be. Uh, they need some psychological help. That's all I can say. <laughs> I, I, I mean, uh, all I can say is, you know, I know the, the uh, Frank and, and Tommy know who Angelo Cataldi is. And Don, you and what? I know him. And, uh, I, yep. uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure that Roy's not familiar with him. But he's got the number one morning show at sports uh, station in Philly. He's my man. Let's go after Cadler. I sent him an email. He says, we're all together in this. And uh, what was Roy? You're going to love this. I mean, uh, the other night at the Phillies game, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a, a loud. Uh, I mean, in unison, the uh, Howie must go. Howie must go. Uh, the Eagles general manager said a Phillies game, <laughs> but he must go. Um. Anyway, what do you think about the draft coming up, Roy, next week? <laughs> well, you know, we, we touched on quarterbacks uh, with the question from Ta- about Tampa and, uh, you know, signing um, uh, Ryan Griffin today. I'll tell you what, it's, it's gonna, for whatever reason, 
this is going to be a, a real quarterback-heavy draft. I mean, you could see quarterbacks go one, two, three, four in this draft, and I'm not sure there's anyone past number one, Trevor Lawrence, that's that's worth drafting in the first round. To be absolutely honest with you, um, I mean, teams are are, are putting so, a lot of weight in, uh, into quarterbacks that, that haven't played in a year, um, have played one or two games, that haven't played against high, you know, high-level competition. Um, I'll tell you what, if you're, if you're not a quarterback needy team, uh, no matter where you are in the draft, you've got a chance to steal a player or two here uh, because some teams that, you know, clearly just feel that this is something they have, they have to have out of this particular draft. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Look, we all understand it's a quarterback-driven league, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, there are seven other play, players on the field uh, on offense alone, and, and plus uh, 12 more, I'm sorry, 11 on defense and 10 more on, de- on, on offense. So, you know, you've got to figure this out. And uh, when you're, if you're passing up arguably the second, third, fourth, fifth best player in the draft for a quarterback just because you feel you need that position, boy, I, I just think that's a mistake. But I just think, I think you're going to see at least three of the first four teams, three of the first five, pick quarterbacks, and again, I'm not sure that after uh, Jacksonville, it's it's a wise move. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. I can agree with you about that. First five quarterbacks, and right now it's a crapshoot right now. Who you want to, you know, the, who you want the best available player out there? And I'm I'm glad the Bucks got this, you know, got the they signed that quarterback because him and Brady get along good. He's he's wingman fine, but and then. He saw the highlights, Roy, in a, in a slump. He knows the offense. The players know him, and, and I think he's a he's a sleeper in this whole in this whole draft thing. Because look, look at the way Candy Anderson became a member of the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, and obviously they're college, you know, and he came out to be a you know Hall of Famer right there. So I, I think that I think the Bucks are made a wise decision to sign in that quarterback. Why get someone out there as, as green? And doesn't know the system. That guy knows the system. He gets along with Brady. The whole is a good team player. He'd be, he, in the hockey terms, Roy. He'd be a good one. He's a great one for the room, in hockey terms. Frank tells me I'm a caller right off of Indianapolis, so uh, we'll let him. We'll let him jump in here, Roy. Before no, 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 we go no, any no, further. no, Don. No, Don. That's uh, that was where Vinny's playing. Vinny's kids playing. Oh, oh, okay. Frank said something to me on the intercom and misunderstood him. Oh, go ahead, Roy. Uh, go ahead, Roy. Yeah, uh, just back to what Tommy was saying. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you've got a good look, the, the Bucks had so much success with that team they had a year ago. Why not mm-hmm. bring back uh, the same, uh, you know, quarterback core if you can do it? Um, they still may have, you know, another move in them before uh, before the draft, where you know we're another a week and a day away, so uh, before that even starts, and you know. Um, but I'm anxious to see, uh, and Roger, I'd like to know from you, what do you think, because talk about a somewhat of a quarterback needy team, perhaps, uh, what do you think Philadelphia is going to do in this draft? What, what are they looking at in the first round? Tampa's, Tampa's well, probably, they're going to, Tampa's going to take the best player available. It, it very well could right. be a quarterback. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. It could be a, um, an offensive lineman, could be a defensive back maybe an outside linebacker. I think those are the areas they're targeting, but uh, Philadelphia is going to pick long before that. Well, I'll Roger, you, weren't you a little bit surprised that the uh, Eagles came out today and said uh, they may draft another quarterback that the quarterback they had that 
Randy, ran our boy out of town, may not be the starting quarterback. How can you say something like that, you know, a couple of days before the draft? Doesn't make sense. Well, it, it, it does only because it's the Eagles, Don. You know that as well. They are in total disarray. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. a laughing stock, I'm sure, within the league. And now, you know, Howie Rosen, what he did was he traded, uh, uh, took the six and traded it away and got a 12. Now there's rumor that he wants to go back down so he gets in front of the Cowboys and the Giants. So, you know, there you go, Roy. And now what Don said, the, t- the talk was they weren't going to take a quarterback. But the, I don't think that they know because what they've been working on is two uh, draft boards. They've got Laurie and Howie's, and then they got the one that all the scouts and, and the uh, staff put together. And then what happens is the uh, Laurie, Laurie and, uh, and Howie make the draft pick. They have not had a successful first-round pick. Well, they, they, they traded you know, up to get uh, Wentz. But uh, they have not had a uh, – and he, now he's gone. They have not had a successful uh, first-round pick in I don't know how many years. It's unbelievable. You know, you really have to be able to, to read the draft, and when you, especially when your, your game plan is to take a top-ten selection, give it away to add more picks. I understand the theory that, you know, and, and the Eagles fit this bill. They're a team that needs everything right now. Uh, right. Yes, they probably need a quarterback at some, you know, at least a, at least a backup, maybe another one that they can develop because who knows if, uh, you know, if what they've got is going to work out. It worked out a little bit a year ago. You know, there was some promise there, but you still don't know. Um, so let's wait and see. But they need everything else. So I understand the theory of, uh, you know, move down, get some other players. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, to me, if you've got a top ten pick and you're a team like the Eagles – I'm staying right there with the top 10 pick. I'm keeping that pick. I'm not moving around. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm dictating the draft. I'm going to make other people, you know, come to me. And uh, b- before I do that, I think they moved it way too early. Um, yep. You know, who knows? Maybe they're not really impressed. Or maybe they know for – maybe they know – and, again, uh, this is what general managers have to do. They have to be able to read the draft. Maybe they know for a fact that the first four or five players are going to be three or the first five or, or whatever are going to be quarterbacks. And in that case, you could still get the player you wanted at number 12, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that you might've wanted or thought you were going to get at number six. Maybe they have that idea. And that, in that case, it makes sense. But you, you, as you just said, Roger, this is an ownership group and a general manager and a management team that hasn't shown that they really understand how the draft works very well over the last few years. They made a couple of picks here and there. But for the most part, they've missed. Uh, they've missed badly, and uh, they've given up on players that they've hit on uh, relatively well uh, too soon. So Carson Wentz being one of them, in my opinion. So, yeah, it, 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 they are, the Eagles are a team to watch come next Thursday because what they do, uh, I don't know if it's going to dictate much about what anybody else does, but uh, in a wide-open uh, NL East, they, um, they certainly <laughs> – have a chance to, to make some noise and uh, and dictate where that uh, division goes this year. Tommy, hopefully to hopefully to the top, Roy. I don't want to see you know like the drafts of Don and and Roger and Franklin. The, the drafts of a uh, you know getting Leroy Keys at one year. Do you think he's going to be the next superstar? And, and two years later, the guy was a flop after that. <laughs> so, 
I'm just hoping they pick the best player available out there. And it'd be a lot of there's a lot of quarterbacks out there, Roy. So 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 who knows? I mean, what's going on with that? But but you know, I'm glad the Bucks made that solid decision right there. They find the backup. You don't have to worry about that. Now all they gotta do, get the best available player out there, man is a linebacker, defensive back, they got enough running backs, wide receivers, and get offensive linemen up there. Maybe even a kicker. You never can tell. And most teams need hey. most teams right now. Yes. No, Tommy, I was just going to say, Leroy Keyes just passed away a few days ago. That's right. Two days. And most people, Roger, most people don't remember that uh, the Philadelphia Eagles won a crazy game in Detroit, which eliminated them from getting O.J. Simpson and wound up getting Leroy Keyes. And uh, Keyes turned out to be a halfway defensive back and a halfway offensive back and really uh, a, a great person and a great tradition mm-hmm. within the league, but not a great player. And then right. a great Very player, true. but not in the pros. Right. No, college, you know, guys, going back on the draft uh, theme, you know, one thing that, that is really uh, – this, this is going to be a very unique draft for one very, very uh, seemingly obvious reason, reason, but I don't really hear a whole lot talked about it right now, um, at least on a national level. I think it's probably being – looked at deeply uh, on, on a local level uh, when teams get their opportunity to talk to the general manager. You never get that much information anyway. But, you know, a lot of teams are really going into this thing more blind than ever. Tommy, mm-hmm. you said it's a crapshoot, and it is. It always has. It is. It's more of a crapshoot now than it ever has been, the reason being you don't have any tape on these guys, or very little. That's true. I mean, it's, yeah. nobody played a full season last year. It's very hard to know uh, exactly what you're getting out of anybody. Um, you really have to kind of lean on your, your instincts more than, uh, than anything. You didn't have a combine, which, again, is primarily about measurables and interviews. You're still going to get those interviews with, your, with the players. But, you know, are you really going to get a chance to see what he does in certain drills that, for whatever reason, your organization – does put uh, credence into, you know, some of the drills, some of them look a little silly, um, you know, three cone drills, things like that. Some of the passing drills, but at the end of the day, um, usually everybody gets a little something out of them. Uh, there's something that they can, they can call from those, those drills. It tells them, you know, whether a player's got a, an ability to be what they need at a certain position. And um, they don't have that information this year. And they have uh, less information regarding uh, uh, playing time for guys. So, you know, how, how did they look over the course of 11 or 12 games? You know, some guys, a lot of guys didn't play in, uh, didn't play in their bowl game, which for some of these players would have been their mm-hmm. best, uh, the best competition they faced. You know, how did a certain player look uh, in that game? So um, not a whole lot of information to work with this year, which um, – my guess is that in the long run, it's probably going to lead to uh, fewer mistakes, or I'm sorry, greater mistakes, more mistakes. You're probably going to see more busts out of this draft than you have. Um, but this, by the same token, you can see more guys drafted in the third, fourth, and fifth round that become uh, starting caliber players and possibly even stars in the league uh, just because someone uh, you know, wasn't able to put a good grade on them. Roger, you're in Atlanta. Yeah. What are the Falcons talking yeah. about? Well, that's a, you know that's a good point, but I just, you know Roy had an outstanding point. And the other thing is, there are several 
that are going to be drafted, maybe fairly high, that sat out last year, the, out of the, the whole season because of COVID. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, there's just so much uncertainty. As far as the Falcons go, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they just go for the best player uh, that's on the board. I don't think that they're going to go after a quarterback uh, because what they're looking at is they feel that, um, you know, have Matt Ryan, uh, his numbers have been pretty good, very good, really. Uh, If they had a running game, the whole team would have functioned a lot better last year. And uh, because there were a number of games that uh, they were, you know, they could have won. They should have won. So I think that uh, they're not going to go for a running back at, in, at uh, high in the first round, uh, but that's what they really need. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they will trade down at the last minute uh, if they see they can get something uh, of value that they want. Really? Yeah, guys, I think this is a draft where you're going to see um, even more uh, – more development of players. I mean, again, if you're a top five, well, one of those top ten teams in the draft this year, you're in the top ten because you didn't play very well last year. You had a horrible season. Right. Um, but right. And usually this draft is where you bring in somebody who you, you believe can step right in for you at that position, whatever it may be, whether it's a left tackle, outside linebacker, defensive end, cornerback, running back, take your pick. Uh, you picking those top 10, 12 spots, you're expecting to bring that player right into your system and have them start right away. A lot of these guys that they draft first overall this year, not first overall, but from the first round, just may not be ready to start because, you know, they need to play some football again. Teams are going to have to be taking a look at them to say, you know, okay, where's, where's this guy at? Again, because of what I pointed to, alluded to a minute ago about the, uh, the right. lack of faith, the lack of playing time a year ago. Uh, and, and as Roger pointed out, the fact that some of these guys that get drafted, it may be a, a, a year or more since they played. So um, mm-hmm. really interesting draft in, in, in that regard. Um, not not uh, anything close to what we've seen in the past. And uh, and the results will be uh, will be very intriguing to see how it goes and what teams intend to do with some of the players they pick up. Roy, we'll leave it right there and say that, uh, as always, great first half hour and uh, well, not only baseball, but football. We never did get around to the Lightning, but we'll get to them next week. As always, thank you very much. Thanks for having thank me, you, Roy. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'll thanks, thanks, thanks Roy. You. You know, one as always, that I'm looking forward to next week talking to you, and Don and I have talked about it. I'm sure Tommy and Frank have too. The impact of gambling on professional sports now, and I know mm-hmm. down uh, in your area, just like here, Valley's bought the uh, the uh, Fox uh, Sports Network, so now it's Valley right. Sports. So the, well, gentlemen, uh, you know, we're 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 going to we're going to get ourselves into real baseball, not what we're seeing necessarily right now, but when <laughs> baseball really counted. Our, our our guest in the second half hour is Jeff Torborg, and Jeff, of course, a Jersey guy like I am, and I've known him for a long, long period of time, and. He holds some very, very distinguished letters of recommendation. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, he caught three no-hitters, which uh, and was one of the first ones to catch a no-hitter in both leagues. And, Jeff, first of all, welcome to the show. And what I'd like to do, you and I chat a little bit, I'd like to start off at a sequence and talk about July 20th, 1990, or 1970, uh, when Bill Singer, uh, you caught Bill Singer, and uh, you not only caught a no-hitter, 
but you broke an un an unwritten rule in baseball. <laughs> yeah, well, I was as you could probably understand listening to Don's in, um, introduction. I was a no hit catcher in more ways than one. Believe me. But mm. that, that game that you're talking about, Bill Singers against the Phillies, and that was an interesting game. It ended up with a pop up um, right in front of the Philly dugout, and Don Money let the lidded bat drop on the on-deck circle, and I tripped over it. And on the way, all I could think of was Yogi Berra back in 1952 catching a no-hitter by Allie Reynolds. Dropped the pop-up that, of all people, Ted Williams hit as a last hitter. Dropped the pop-up. They went back and threw the same pitch to him, and he popped it up again, and he caught it. Yogi caught it. But years later, I was in Yogi Berra and uh, Allie Reynolds' company, and, Allie, and Yogi said, he spiked me on that second one because he's mad at me dropping the first one. And so the you know, baseball stories, I don't know if they, they grow later on or not, but that was pretty, that was interesting. We got laughing about that one. <laughs> well, Jeff Torborg, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the fifth inning of that game of the no-hitter because uh, as you and I chat, uh, nobody ever mentioned no-hitters. When uh, you know, it got to the seventh or eighth or ninth inning, nobody mm-hmm. on the air, whether they're broadcasters, television broadcasters, they never mentioned that when no hitter was being pitched. You broke that tradition back in 1970. Well, that's interesting. You know, when I, I, I before that, I caught a perfect game with Don, uh, Sandy Koufax, and I was in all Sandy anyway, so I was definitely not going to speak to him in the dugout, which was the tradition in those days, as you mentioned, on the air as well as in the dugout. Nobody spoke to, to the pitcher when he had a no hitter going. Well, obviously, I didn't speak to Sandy, but Bill Singer's coming later would have been my second one. And I felt mm-hmm. comfortable knowing, you know, what we were trying to do. And Bill and I had, had um, been a battery since 1963 at Albuquerque. And so when we were, we got into, you know, oftentimes when you have a no-hitter or a perfect game going, you don't realize it's gone until you look at the scoreboard in the fifth or sixth inning and there's and there nothing but zeros in it, in the hit for you for the opposition but with bill's in bill's case we we talked in the dugout about what we what he would like to do and what i thought we should try to do uh as we were trying to you know sort of by the no hitter so that was really going against tradition in baseball and, and later on i caught another no hitter of Nolan ryan's and, and we also in that one definitely talked about what we're going to pl- try to do get to get through the end of the game without giving up the hit well, let's jump back to 65 for a second because Koufax is perfect game. And uh, one of the things you and I have talked about before is how much tension is there on – everybody talks about the pitcher, the pitcher, the pitcher. How much tension is there on you behind the plate, not only to call the game, but not to make a mistake? Well, boy, I tell you, you think about it all the time. You know, a lot of people – in fact, i got to tell you a quick story leading up to the answer to this. Having caught that perfect game, I got a wire from Ray Shaw, the great Hall of Fame catcher from the old Black Sox, and he had caught no hitters, and he was he sent a wire saying that the catcher never got enough credit, so he was he would would uh, wire somebody who had who had been fortunate enough to be a catcher and no hitter. I thought that was really interesting, but when you think about um, no hitters, period, they they are difficult. 
uh, on everybody on the field, but especially a perfect game. If, if you're aware, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're not aware that it's a perfect game because nobody's talk, supposedly talking in the dugout. But in Sandy's case, you know, he was so special that every time he went out on the mound, we thought he might pitch a no-hitter. Well, in that game uh, against the Cubs, uh, he he missed giving up a, a, a first-inning double to um, second baseman of the Cubs, and it went just foul. So then for the rest of that game, he was in complete control. He didn't have a real good curveball early. But that puts pressure on the catcher because, obviously, you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to make an error. You don't want to not jump on a ball and just chop in front of the plate. And you don't want to go against what he feels confident in throwing at a particular time. You know, for an example, the last two innings, he struck all six batters out. And I, as a catcher, said, I'm not going to screw this up if I can help it. So I'm not, I only called one curveball in the last two innings, and it was to Joey Malcapano only because Joey had beaten us with the Cubs on pinch hits on first ball fast twice before that that season, that 55 season. So I, I, I immediately said, there's no way I'm going to call a fastball with this one, but it'll be the only curve that I end up calling. Called the curveball, and he fouled it into the dirt. And it almost went fair, but I, I was so gunned up, I jumped out and got the ball before it went fair. And maybe that's good because who knows where I would have thrown it for all intents and purposes. You really feel it. it it's, it wow. and, and one of these no-hitters I got to hate, Donna, was interesting. I had a long sleeve uh, undershirt on. When I saw pictures at the end of the game, you wouldn't have known it. I had them pushed up underneath the uniform sleeves. That's how far back. That's where the nerves are taking over, I think. <laughs> and then you get, yep. then you get traded. You get traded from the Dodgers over to the California Angels, and you step up with another great, great pitcher. And I know you never like to talk about who's the better pitcher of all the past. I don't want to skip Bob Gibson. He was a great pitcher, but not involved in this conversation. But uh, when you uh, when you caught Nolan Ryan on May fifteenth, nineteen seventy three, uh, he had the ball all over the place. Tell us about that no hitter. Mm-hmm. Well, that was interesting. That was in Kansas City. Um, he had not had, this. This obviously had not had a no hitter before this, and we had worked uh, from. He came over to us from a, a trade with the the Mets in seventy two. And we kind of, he and I did a lot of messing around with his delivery. And I, I brought some of the things I had learned from Koufax and Drysdale and Sutton and those guys with the Dodgers. And we tried him with Nolan. Oh, this was a time that he, he put it together. And But interestingly enough, in the no-hitter at Kansas City, Nolan had a habit of tapping the top of the rubber with his right foot. When he, You know, you see a pitcher start with a foot on the rubber. And nowadays you see him a lot differently. They almost look like they're taking a stretch position all the time. Mm-hmm. But no one would tap the top of the rubber as he was making his turn. And Jack McKean was the manager, and he um, he, he said that was against the rules. So he, he um, what am I trying to say? He caused the umpires to, to question whether it was a legal move or not. Well, after the no-hitter, they dropped it, and there was no no need to say anything. But 
I think it spurred Nolan on even. And and here was a man. He could throw the ball. He, you know, the, the radar guns are so different nowadays, and, and the, they, the, they talk about so many guys throwing over 100 miles an hour. In those days, he didn't have many guys throwing over 100. In fact, there weren't a whole lot throwing over 90. But Nolan Ryan could throw so hard that it was incredible. He had a pitch that you probably never even heard of. It's called a dry spitter. Now, you've heard of a spitball. That started with saliva on the ball and ended up with gasoline and that type of stuff. A dry spitter is, is a fastball that is choked off because the pitcher is trying to throw it too hard. Well, no one could throw it like you couldn't believe. And in, invariably, with a runner on, in third, on third base, He'd want to get more on the ball than, than on any other pitch, and he would throw one of those, and the bottom would fall out of it. Now the and so you as a catcher, you're, you're kind of defending the area like a hockey goalie. You mm-hmm. give him the target, and then you just say, "Boy, boy I hope I can catch this thing." Because if, if he lets one rip down in the zone, you know he could kill you. He threw so hard. <laughs> but as it turned out, as the, the last out of the game was Amos Overs hit a long five ball to right field. And we had a, a real good defensive outfitter in Ken Berry. I don't know if you remember. He won a gold glove mm-hmm. at least once for the White Sox. But with the Angels, he, he played center field. But in this particular game, he went in defensively in right field. They ended up catching the ball up against the the um, the, K, the uh, actual fence where the bullpen was. Boy, I tell you, when, when Otis hit that ball, I jumped straight up in the air. I thought, oh, no, not now. Last hitter, last pitch. <laughs> but that was going to the first one. Oh. Let me bring oh, some of these other guys in. Jeff, we've got uh, uh, Roger Henlon in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, Roger, uh, a longtime Philadelphian and also uh, a longtime Georgian. Uh, you have a, a comment or two? How about Jeff Torberg oh, and you? I do. Jeff Torberg's one of my favorite people ever. And I don't know if you'll remember this, Jeff, but uh, you were going to take the Princeton head coaching job in baseball. And I interviewed you at Yankee Stadium. And then, of course, George offered you more money and you stayed with the Yankees. I still have the baseball that uh, that you signed for me at Yankee Stadium that night. We had a, I interviewed you. I was doing a uh, shows at uh, WHWH in Princeton, and uh, oh, I don't know, you know, it was just a wonderful experience. And I'm sure you remember when you were going to take that Princeton job. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that. I was on a stage with uh, coaching with the Yankees that I just I, I thought changed the lifestyle. The our boys were growing up, and I I wasn't getting a chance to see them play. But then I started to think. If I'm coaching Princeton, and if they don't go to Princeton, I'm still not going to see them play. But <laughs> right. I, I had I had accepted the job, and but I had another year in a contract with George Steinbrenner, and we ended up going to the World Series that year. And he made an offer on the on the plane going west. He motions to me on the plane and says, "Come over here, sit down. I want you to stay with the Yankees." I said, "Oh." George, I, I, you know, I, I'm committed to Princeton. He said, I know it, but I, I want you to stay. Go back and ask and talk it over with your wife. Well, I knew he was serious because he never, he never concerned himself with the wives. So I went back and, and Susie said, holy mackerel, why don't you ask for 10 years? I said, I don't have a guts to ask for 10. <laughs> so I said, go ahead. 
I asked for seven. I, I asked for seven, and you know, and he said, oh, I can't do that. And I said, I understand, boss. I got up to leave. He grabbed me by the shoulder and said, sit down. I'll take care of this. I'll make it work. So part of the contract wow. was with the Yankees and part with with um, American Ship. But it turned out that he made that offer of those extra years, and I said, oh, boy, I can't, I can't leave for that. You know, I'll leave that alone. So but that's interesting. That's, that's nice that we had time to know someone before. And speaking of knowing people, Don, before I – I don't want to get off and, and not mention to you. George Case said to say hello to you. I spoke to him today. We, you remember the great George Case, a father, and then young George was at Rutgers with me and, and was had a great sporting goods store, Jeff, in Trenton, New Jersey. Absolutely, and then he George became the president of um, a shoe company, and we 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 um, produced together. We we decided that we we're going to try to break into the the cleated market, which was difficult. And he he made some of the nicest shoes going. They were kind of uh, kangaroo, but they're illegal now. They were real soft, you know, and they were really good for the, the players, but not, not for the kangaroo. <laughs> Poor kangaroo. Jeff, let's, uh, let's get to let's get to Tommy Gilbert for a minute. He says uh, he's over in Tampa, and Tommy, uh, you not only saw you know. Jeff in Philadelphia, but you also saw him in Cleveland. He uh, took over that yeah. Cleveland job in 1977 to 79. He was sort of the manager that. of the year there. How about it, Tommy? I remember that. I remember those days, Jeff. I mean, I, my, my, a funny story would you say about American Shipbuilding Company? My dad worked for Mr. Steinbrenner as an auditor for the Stinson. That was back to back in '76, the largest. Um, or or carrier freight on Lake Erie. So my dad had a heart attack. My mother's in the office doing the paperwork for that day. I guess who walks in there? Mr. Steinbrenner. Everybody said, good morning, Mr. Steinbrenner. Good morning, Mr. Steinbrenner. My mom said, who are you? I remember those days at Cleveland Stadium. Mr. Parker in West 3rd Street. And a sunny, sunny afternoon. Jeff, what did you think about John Adams and the drummer? That's a question I always want to ask you if I ever have ever saw you or that. What did you think about John and his, and his big drum? You know, that's interesting. I think he's still doing it, unless, unless he's a John Adams Jr. But, you know, you'd hear that. There'd be nobody in the stadium. We we had – it was interesting in those days in Cleveland. That's a monster stadium. It was a monster stadium. Right. Right. It's a good baseball town, but the team wasn't real good, you know. And I, I replaced Frank Robinson. Frank had taken the manager's job as the first vice manager, and it was really an exciting time. In fact, Frank, on opening day, as a player manager, he hit a home run off of Doc Medic. It was uh, the place went crazy. Right. There had there had to been seventy thousand people there, but the right. problem is the next day there was only seven. <laughs> and that's what happened every opening day, you know. You'd have a nice, bad opening day and then nothing for the, mm-hmm. the rest of the year. That's, that's amazing. That's good... You know, Jeff, I, Jeff, I wanted to ask what... you about the current, current day uh, pitchers. I'll give you an example. Aaron Nola of the Phillies the other day pitched the first nine-inning uh, complete game that he's ever pitched in his uh, major league career. And I think he's had more uh, starts – uh, with more innings pitched uh, over the last several years um, than than anybody any pitcher in baseball. And of course, last year he did have a seven inning complete game, but this this was the first nine inning. What do you think about pitching today, where 
they're happy if you get through six innings, sometimes even five. No, that's interesting. I saw that fact about Noah. Noah, he's a, Noah, he's a, he's a good-looking pitcher. I like him. But the, the, the game has changed so much now. It's all, um, well, I'm trying to, you've got so many young guys coming out of college. And of course, the baseball, older baseball people say it's the, the young bean counters are coming in and wanting to change the game with the, with the stats and, and that kind of thing. When you get a, a, a pitcher who really is a gamer, you you let him tell how far he can go by how he's pitching. But nowadays, in fact, in that the World Series last year, if you remember the the um, the, the uh, Rays manager pulled out the left-hander Snell when he was really yeah. doing a job. And yep. you know, I I don't think you can. I just don't think the game the game is a great game, and it's this overshifting that's that's a problem too. But throwing pitchers out because they, they're they only going to face this hitter for two times or they don't want to go the third time through the lineup. Boy, can you imagine telling Drysdale that or, or Kopex? They tell you to get off. Gibson, Gibson would tell you to get off the mound. It's his mound. So, yeah, I, I, it, the game has changed. There's no doubt about it. Wow. Jeff, uh, last question be, uh, before we let you go and, and – uh, we talked to Larry Bow about this uh, two weeks ago. Uh, some of the new rules, and now they've changed even now. I see we're in the minor leagues. Uh, you and I chatted about it. They're going to move the bound back a foot. I mean, uh, you, know, you, can't, you can't do it with a you or a catcher. Uh, you, can't, you have to leave an alleyway for the guy to get in. Uh, you can't have a play at second base where you break it up. Uh, what do you think about these new rules? Well, I didn't like the one with the catcher because there have been times when, when guys like Lou Brock would steal on us at will. And if I had a shot at the plate on the tag plate, I was going to make it and pay for those, those embarrassing times that he kept stealing on bases on us. But nowadays you can't do that. They throw the catcher out of the game. You can't block the plate. Well, you know, that that's part of the fun part of the catching position is, is to – you, you made sure you know who the base runner was. If you had Pete Rose or Tommy Agee or Don Bell at second base, you'd say, uh-oh. If there's a big hit to the outfield, the throw's coming home, you better be ready because the locomotives are coming. But you can't <laughs> even do that now. You're, you're afraid to even get in position to, to catch your left foot on the, on the edge of the plate. I, I, I don't like that. I, I know why they did it. They put it in because of the giant catcher. Had gotten hurt, and Posey, he was a Posey. top hitter. Yeah, yeah Posey, Posey. That's right. Yeah, but I, I don't know about this moving the the mound back either. That's, you know, in in um, I think it was '68 uh, was when Gibson had that unbelievable earn run average, and Drysio had that shutout streak at '58 and two thirds. Mm-hmm. They lowered the mound, and it changed the pitching. Can you imagine that they pushed the mound back after all these years? I, I can't, I can't picture that. A lot of pants. Oh, Jeff, we'll leave it, we'll leave it right there, Jeff. And and uh, I, I never did get to Drysdale and that, that very controversial play with the Dodgers on his consecutive. Next time you join us, we'll start off with Drysdale and that consecutive score of the streak was, uh, I think, one of the great umpire calls of of all time to have the courage to make that call. But 
Jeff, thank you so much. I said we keep you up for 20. We kept you up for more. Uh, we'll get together again real soon. Thanks so much. You're thank welcome. You, thank you, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Best of health. To- thank you, guys. Okay, we, we switch gears again. We go back to uh, football from a couple of standpoints. Vince Vitale is our next guest coming up on the uh, order. And, and Vince, before we talk about your movie and we talk about how you came out of the sands with the Eagles, your son played on an undefeated team, the first one in a long, long time at Delaware. Uh, he's going down with Mr. Glenville to take a look at a, some of the pro things. Uh, Vince Papali, tell us what's happening at Delaware first and then your son. Well, I don't know, Don. How are you? You and Frank, good, 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 to, good to talk to you guys. I'm down here in Jupiter, Florida right now. I'm actually yeah. Uh, with, yeah, yeah, I'm with uh, I'm with Vinny and and my daughter Gabriella. We're at this really cool place called Uncle Eddie's, and uh, right outside <laughs> of Jupiter. So yeah, it, it's great. Um, hey, listen, it's it's first of all, Don. What what a, what a what a pleasure to talk to you. I mean, you're you're like on Mount Rushmore as far as I'm concerned when it comes to some of the <laughs> the greatest the, the greatest announcers in Philadelphia Eagles at Philadelphia history. I should say Eagles history. Philadelphia history. This is this is so cool. When I get the call and and I heard the I heard frankly that message. I said, man, I I got to do this no matter where I am. I have, I have to do this. So thanks. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, tell us about your son. Tell us about your son first. Well, I tell you what, I'm I'm pretty excited about our blue hens. We can talk about that in a second. But uh, uh, Vinny, I, I'm just so proud of him. You know, he was. Uh, he, he came out of Delaware, and he had they had that great year, and uh, it, it, it sort of fell apart a little bit in the playoffs. But uh, so it was a great senior year that he had, and we thought maybe he might get drafted. He was sort of uh, slotted in the uh, sixth or seventh round, and, and it didn't happen. And and uh, and he went to a couple of free agent camps, and then we found out that he had a sports hernia. And uh, so he got that taken care of and, and was signed with Canada. And Canada's, Canada uh, canceled the year last year, canceled the season. And, and, and so um, he's uh, – and now he's, he's, he's signed to go to Indy, uh, Indianapolis uh, next week, uh, Monday actually. And he's going to play with the legendary Jerry Glanville. And, and he's going to put, in, put him in as a slot receiver. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. It's a developmental league. And – we just found out the CFL uh, that Vinny had signed with before um, is now going to extend, and they're going to open their season up in August. And, and hey, who knows? You know, Jerry thinks there's a possibility that Vinny in the slot has a great shot uh, to, to, to get a good look in the NFL. So that's his dream. And, and hey, listen, you know, you, you know what it's all about, Don. It's all about living that dream out. So, uh We'll, we'll do everything we can to get him there, but he, he's pretty much uh, he, he's pretty much in tune, and and uh, they're they're ready to make him. Uh, they they think they're their go-to guy, so we'll see. You know, they, nobody they knows it, about that, uh, Vince. Nobody knows about that dream more than you do. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Roger Hendler, jump in. Yeah, Vince. Uh, good to talk to you as always, and uh, a couple hey, of thanks, things. Hey, thanks, Roger. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, uh, you're down there in Jupiter. My stepson uh, is a manager at Admirals Cove. You want to go over and see Mike Schmidt while you're there? Well, I I'm, Cove. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. I'm right around the corner, actually. Uh, not too far around the corner. I'm, I'm in what they call a little little development called Tequesta in Turtle Creek. There's a 
there's a couple of recognizable names like uh, Ricky Fell and Ernie Ellis and Joe Namath that, mm. uh, that I've, I've heard hangs on that court, but uh, on that course, but it's, it's, it's a whole different world down here. You know, people smile, they have a good time. They, uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of things going on. So we're, we're real excited, but I'm, I'm actually heading back up to Philly uh, next week and, uh, you know, making a couple moves and uh, getting, getting the future set up. And as Vinny goes to Indy and our daughter, Gabriella, she's still, uh, she does, she's the manager of in-game live entertainment for the Sixers. And, Right now, they're still virtual. Uh, they're not doing any entertainment on the court. Uh, so Gabby's working vir- virtual while she's down here with us. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how things go as, uh, as, the, as, as, a, as a pandemic uh, adventure continues, as they say. Tommy Gilbert, you're up next. Vince, welcome to the program again. Always a pleasure to talk with you tonight. And I, I still think of, of all, you know, these, these young athletes that have had the chance to make it like you did. And it's still a remarkable story. And I just I can't thank you enough. I had my Eagle seats and 717 up there along with the sponsors program. <laughs> just to make sure, fair enough, you met Nick at a – it used to be uh-huh. for Jaws of the – he saw games up there and that. So, and, and that, that was such a greatest, greatest thing over there. And that. Next, if this wasn't this COVID right now, I'd invite you over here to – over here to Tampa Bay to what, take invite you to a hockey game one day. Maybe oh, someday. Oh, my God. Someday. Well, I'd love to. Well, you know what? After this, after this sort of lightens up a little bit, I'd love to do it. My, my, uh, actually, I, I had both my team, my knees redone down there with Dr. Peter Candelora right over in Newport, Richie. Oh. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. That would, that would be awesome. But, you know, Tom, I, I appreciate that. And that, let me tell you something, you know, when I get out and talk and everything else, it's, we all have our dreams, you know, and, 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 when, and so I'm teaching in my alma mater in high school, and, uh, and, and I figure, okay, I've, I've, I'm, I've been a school teacher for six years, and I was working on my master's, and actually I was trying mm-hmm. to get into the Olympic trials for the uh, decathlon, and it didn't happen, so I started playing semi-pro football. When I, when I went to my coach, my high school coach, when I was 30 years old, his name is George Corner. He's a legendary in the Philadelphia area. And he gave me this yep. really great quote. He said, happy are those who dream dreams and are willing to pay the price to make their dreams come true. And I, and I, and I use that quote all the time when I go out and speak. And, and when I think of Invincible, it's everybody's dream. And, and, and that's, I think, why it's so popular. And, and they look at it not so much as a, as a football movie, but more as a, as a metaphor for life. And, and, and people saying, you know what, given the right opportunity and being prepared for it, like Dick Vermeil gave me, and, and, and then taking advantage of that opportunity, that's what it's all about. And, and, and I think it reaches out to so many different people and so many different generations. And, and I think that's why it's so popular, especially because Mark Wahlberg, and, and it is a Disney movie, which is pretty cool. But uh, it, it's like, you know, it's 15 years later and I'm still pinching myself. This, this is just crazy. I, 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 I can't even, I can't imagine what <laughs> you, you can't even imagine what it was like to be in my skin here. <laughs> yeah. To walk wow. in this place I went into today and there was a bunch of Philly people. It was pretty wild. So. <laughs> Vince, let's you, talk you for a second it. because we go, we go all over the country with our show and, uh, you know, everybody's had a chance to see Invincible, but uh, let's just go back for a second. And some of the folks that are maybe a little bit younger or haven't had an opportunity to see it, explain how uh, you went from the stands to the field to the movies. 
It was a, a, well, a remarkable. You talk about a dream. That's beyond a dream. Yeah, yeah. For some, they might have said it was a nightmare, but uh, uh, basically, uh, I was I was teaching in my alma mater in suburban Philadelphia, head track coach, assistant football coach, working on my master's degree, and I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. This is back in uh, the mid seventies, and and and, uh, and and so and, and then Dick Vermeil comes in. And uh, he has a free agent tryout in 1976. And my Olympic, my Olympic uh, dream had, had, had not uh, been attained. So I decided to go another direction. And I, and, and I, was, playing in semi, I was playing these rough touch leagues. I was playing semi-pro football. And I decided to, uh, to take a shot. You know, and Don, you were around when this happened. And, and Dick gave me that shot. So, it, it, you know, so I made the team. And then I wound up captain of the team, and I got four years in, and, you know, I get my pension. And then I'm retired and doing TV and radio like you, and then I got into sales and marketing and, and this and that. And then about 17 years ago, uh, when Rocky, because I was always called the real-life Rocky because I was a 30-year-old rookie, and Rocky was a 30-year-old ham and egger, um, they decided on ESPN in, in 2002 uh, to do a feature, and Stuart Scott and Ron Jaworski, my teammate, introduced this feature, comparing me to Rocky, and the next thing you know, um, I'm getting calls from Hollywood. And we, we settled in on uh, Ken Mock, who was an executive producer, and they wrote a spec script. And then the guys that did the miracle, the movie Miracle and Rookie and, and the Secretariat, new guy, uh, they, they got a hold of the script. They took it into Disney, and Disney fell in love with it. Before you know it, 2004, I become their property. 2005, we start shooting the movie in, in Philadelphia. In 2006, Labor Day, it comes out. And in and, and, and two weeks, it, it, it did $30 million and was number one in the box office for two weeks. I mean, are you kidding me? And, and here we are 15, you know, 15 years later, and, and uh, it, it's just been an incredible run. But, again, you know, it's just about everybody's dream and, and I'm, I'm having a blast with it, so and I'm trying not to get in my kids' way with it. So, you know, <laughs> that's, but one thing I, ha- I have to say, there's one thing in the movie. They have my wife Janet portrayed as a Giants fan, and reality, she was Kathy Rigby's teammate on that USA World Gymnastics team. Uh, she didn't compete in the Munich Olympics because of an injury, but she was on that team uh, that competed the next year in the World Games in Ljubljana, and then she wound up. Uh, becoming the head gymnastics coach at the University of Pennsylvania, and uh, you know, and she's we have two beautiful children, Gabby and Benny, and it's just life right now is it, 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 it's idyllic, you know. I mean, we're, we're grinding every day like everybody else. And she's a Roger. very successful realtor in Cherry Hill, oh, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, and Cherry Hill, and Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Uh, and, and, and I mean, and, and Florida, and, and Florida, New Jersey, and, and uh, Florida, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. She's a broker in Pennsylvania, and you know, and and now we have uh, we have Coach Doug Peterson, our former head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, is is now living right around the corner from us, and then uh, you know we're so and we got a, we got a few Philly. We're bringing a lot of Philly people down here in Jupiter. Next thing you know, we're going we're gonna cheese, we're gonna have to get a Tony Luke cheesesteak joint or something like that, or Patrick Gino's <laughs> and, and change the culture of things Wawa. down here. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, Wawa Wawa. yeah hey, well, there's there's enough Wawas. You know, there's Wawas and there's a lot of them over there in Tampa, right? Right down here, yes. it's Seven uh, Elevens are big, which is which is all right. <laughs> I'm in Europe. 
<laughs> you gotta have that Wawa event, so that's for sure. <laughs> you know, it's funny how the Wawa started down here. It, it started in a town called Newport Ritchie, and you figure it was should have started in Clearwater, Billy's Clearwater, and that. And and I remember mm-hmm. they, they went to a hockey game with me. I took them to a hockey game, and and, and Tasty Cake was bought out uh, for soda flour baking company. So Vince, so I'm having dinner with them. Uh, the, the tasty cake and also Wawa Dairies. Who would have thought in the world I'd be having dinner with these two gentlemen? And, and, and there were hockey and golfers up there. <laughs> I'd say, I'm ready. That's right. Hey, and that's why I, I had my question for <laughs> uh, my, my question buddy, for Dr. Candelora's. Yeah, that, that, I heard that's a place to hang out on Friday nights, Wawa. So, you know, I mean, it's a whole different <laughs> ball game down here because you can go into a Wawa, you know, you can not only get your gas in a hoagie, and, you know, it's not a sub, you get a hoagie, and, uh, mm-hmm. but you can also, yeah, you can also get some beer and wine, you know. <laughs> I, think they do tail- <laughs> I think they do tailgating in the Wawa parking lot down here. It's pretty cool, but it, it's, it's oh. a whole different world. But I'm looking forward to coming back What did they ask you about the current, the current status of the Eagles? I talked about it a little while ago. And I don't know if you heard at the Phillies game the other night, all of a sudden uh, the fans erupted, Howie must go, Howie must go. And uh, I was just wondering what, what, you know, you're involved. I know, you know, the alumni and everything, but it's got to be a real uh, shame uh, for the way things are right now with the uh, uncertainty, uh, the, the controversy about Jeff Rory and Howie and, uh, you know, the draft board. And, and uh, you know, how do you feel about that since you are much closer to the team than any of us? Well, I'm certainly I, – I really won't comment on on, on Howie and, and, and Jeffrey. Uh, you know, they're the people in charge, and, and, and they feel that what they did is the right thing. But I'm very disappointed uh, that my friend that I've known, Doug Peterson, since 1999 when he was a player, uh, that he wasn't given oh. an opportunity after this season – uh, to get one more season, you know, I, I think anybody uh, and any coach that was that should have been given a mulligan, so to speak, or an audible, yep. you know, uh, during during this time, you know, with everything that was going on, and uh, especially with injuries and 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 you know with the COVID and and so forth and so on. So you know, and and and, I, and I'm very close to Doug, and and you know what happened happened, and and uh, you know he's not bitter, he's at peace. Uh, and there'll be an op- there'll be plenty of opportunities for him, as you know. You know, on Black Monday, uh, he, there'll there'll be six or seven job openings here, and 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 I'll t- I guarantee you that I don't know where and if Doug Doug will even take him up. He want to go somewhere, but uh, um, you know he's he's sort of enjoying his life down here, and and it is what it is up mm-hmm. there. I I really haven't I really haven't spent a lot of time and a lot of uh, you know a lot of attention as to what they what they may or may not do with the draft picks and. And, uh, you know, with Jalen and the quarterback situation, I'm real excited about the fact that they, uh, that they brought in, uh, you know, Flacco, Joe, and he's going to be able to end his NFL career here in, in, in the town that he rooted for when he was a kid. And ironically, yep. you know, Vin, Vinny, uh, Vinny trains with his, with his uh, brother Tommy, who, who was a great quarterback for Towson, who uh, was actually, uh, actually the former coach at the University of Delaware, uh, the, 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 the Tommy really wanted to come to Delaware because of his son and maybe because of his brother. And, uh, you know, the, the former coach before Danny got in here, uh, you know, said, well, he's not our guy. So, um, hey, it, it is what it is, you know. And I'll, 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 I'm an Eagles fan through and blue. I'm a season ticket holder for, 
for way back to the Franklin Field days. I actually, uh, <laughs> outside in, in my little recreation area down here, I had two uh, season, I had two stadium seats from Veterans Stadium, and I have oh. I have astroturf, I have astroturf mats all over the place that we we pitch golf balls from. <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> It, it is what it is, and and, and you know, and 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 I wish I, I wish the new coach uh, all the success in the world, you know, and 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 I really want him to be successful, and uh, you know what what they're saying and what's going on, you know, by other people and from the insiders and and uh, those unnamed sources, you know, hey, it is what it is, and and you know, let them let them say it. I, I'm just I'm just I'm Doug's friend, and I'll be with them. And yeah. I'll be supporting him no matter what. So, you know, I'll just sort of leave it at that. Yeah, we're Vince with you. Vince our special I, guest yeah. this, sec, this segment of the show. And, and, Vince, a couple of things I'd like you to touch on. One, I think you hooked up with two people that were similar but in different professions. I think when you hooked up with Dick Vermeil, I thought he was a, a special kind of person. And then when you got mm-hmm. into Invincible in the movies, you hooked up with another guy that was just like Dick Vermeil who wanted to throw everything right. Well, uh, you know, Coach Vermeil, uh, when you talk about special, and he made special teams a very important and integral part of of the makeup of the team. And, and he said, you know, the, the team is, you know, it's almost like government. you got three branches. And in ours, our, you know, it's not just the offense-defense. It's also the special teams because George Allen um, made Dick Vermeil the first special, uh, first, uh, special teams coach ever in the history of the NFL. And then when Dick came in, he, he just said, you know what, I'm going to have four or five guys that are going to just be special teams guys, you know, and, and he chose me. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I came on. And, and Denny, guys like Denny Franks and Terry Totolo, and, and he said, these guys are going to be the bomb squatters. So that, and then, you know, I, I, I think you're alluding maybe to Mark Wahlberg and, and just a tremendous job that Mark did uh, playing me and, and representing the Philadelphia Eagles, representing the city of Philadelphia, he he took the role and and he took his he took what he was asked to do very very seriously. And he actually said to me, he says he uh, was sort of funny. He says I'm a little nervous about playing you. I says why is that? And he says well I know you're going to be on the field every day and I'm going to want to please you and I want to make you I really want to make you happy. He said but I never played the role of a guy that was still alive again at the end of the movie. Because he was like in the perfect storm and 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 um, kind of the apes, you know, in those kinds of movies. But it, it, and, and I, thought, and I, I have so, to say, I have to say, he's a pretty successful producer, star, and director himself. Yes, he is. That's and right fun. now, he's a gr- yeah, he's a grieving he's a grieving son because he just lost his mother Alda uh, just oh. a, just a day or two ago. Yeah, so. And but you know I reached out to Mark and within within two minutes he got back to me and we we, we have a very very special relationship and 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 I'm just so grateful. Uh, listen, I'm, let me tell you something. I'm the luckiest freaking guy in the world. I'm a cancer survivor. I, I've got two of the most beautiful Good. children in the world. I, you know I got my wife Janet who's been very successful and and um, I I can't ask for anything more idyllic than the, than the life that I have right now and. And I'm just so excited about what's, what the future lies, both for my children and, and what Janet and I are going to do is we sort of, uh, we're sort of like, I, 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 I sort of, I always say I'm, I'm sort of like in the red zone, you know, but I still have, 
I still have three timeouts left, so we'll we'll see what's left. <laughs> there we go. Vince Papali has been our special guest, and Vince, uh, thank you so very, very much. As you know, anytime we can get you to spend a few minutes, and I know things yes. are lovely over there in Jupiter. They're pretty nice over here in Sarasota, too. I don't want to take oh, anything away yeah. from <laughs> so yeah, I got to, sure. I got to, but I got to put a word in for Sarasota. But I, I love Jupiter too. But you know, now that you have all that money, you know, you're right close to Tiger Woods, and uh, you know, all these, all these people, the multimillionaires, they're right next door to you. <laughs> well, I, 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 I've heard, I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've heard a little bit about that. But hey, listen, you know, more than anything, I, I just want to give a little shout out to Danny Rocco and the great job that he's done at the University of Delaware. I know they got that big game Saturday night at 7 o'clock, ESPN3, uh, and I'll be watching. You know, they're playing Sacred Heart for uh, the, the, the semifinals for the championship. And, and man, they, they've done just, a, just such a great job. And this Nolan Henderson, uh, I saw that kid, the quarterback, and he's just lighting it up. I know he's said that he's a, in the conference. He's the number one quarterback they have there. And I remember him as a freshman. And, and you know, you talk about potential he, he, he fulfilled his potential. And, and Colby Reader, I have a real affection for him because I know his dad real well. And his, his brother Troy uh, was Vinny's teammate, roommate, and he's now with the L.A. Rams. And so, come on, Blue Hens. I know we were going to talk a little bit about the Hens, and they got that big game Saturday night. So, And, I, and Vinny and I, we're getting a whole group of people uh, together to watch the game Saturday night. So, go Blue Hens, go Eagles. Fly hens and fly mm-hmm. eagles, you know, fly eagles fly, right. but it, life is good. There we go. Vince, Vince we'll leave it right there. Once it's again, thank you very, me. very much. I hope you'll join us again real quickly. And uh, with football season just around the corner, maybe after the draft is completed, uh, you'll have a few minutes yeah. to join us after that. But thank you very, very much. It's always a pleasure You're to welcome. talk with you. You know that. All right, thanks, guys. God bless you. And, guys, stay safe, you be invisible, too, win the day. God bless you. All right. Thank, Thank you, Vince. Yeah, you too. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Our, next, guy, our next guest, we're going we're gonna to switch topics again. Uh, we've been football. We've been hockey. We've been basket. We've been everything tonight all over the dial. But it's time now for a little conversation about soccer. And there's a big Uh-oh. story today, of course. The, the big six have uh, dropped out. Mike, uh, nice to have you back with us, and uh, tell us about the big six moving out and the collapse of the league. Mm. i got to tell you, this European Super League had to be the worst product launch since New Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you have go come Mike, with that? Go, <laughs> I have kids, who, I have middle school students with longer attention spans than that thing lasted. I mean, I, oh, I think I once had a hangover that long, lasted longer than your league <laughs> lasted. <laughs> but mm. so if we're going back, I mean, this has been an idea that's been floating around. I've talked about it on the show before. You guys asked me about this when the uh, outgoing president of Barcelona uh, mentioned it when he was stepping down back in October. So this idea of the creation of this European Soccer League uh, or Super League, it it isn't new. And just because it failed epically this time, I also don't think it's completely dead. But um, the Champions League was set, uh, which is run by UEFA, the confederation that oversees uh, professional soccer in Europe and competition in Europe, 
they were set to announce changes to the Champions League, which is their top tournament on Monday. And sort of rumors about this announcement started filtering out, I would say, early Sunday morning. By Sunday evening, we had confirmation that um, 12 teams, 12 of the biggest teams in Europe, um, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and Real Madrid in Italy, uh, Juventus, AC Milan, and Inter Milan in Italy, and, or, and um, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspurs, Man- Manchester United, Manchester City, and Liverpool in England had launched this. And in large part, it looked like it was, I guess, the brainchild, the driving force behind it was none other than your good friend down in uh, Tampa Bay, the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Manchester United, Joel Glazer, right? Oh, jeez. Don't, um, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, well, if you guys don't like him down there, you can imagine what they think of him over in the U.K. right now. Um, the whole entire idea was to have a 15-team league that would have been set up mm-hmm. much like the NFL would, right? They would have played each other, uh, to, and they had some $10 billion in backing from J.P. Morgan. Uh, the Glazers, through Ed Woodward, who was the former CEO of uh, Manchester United, have a really good re- relationship with J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan was the one who extended them the uh, financing to buy Manchester United for 800 million pounds, close to a billion dollars, when they bought it about 10, 15 years ago. So the whole idea was that they were going to get all of this money and uh, basically set up this renegade league. Well, you can say that went over like the proverbial Hindenburg. I mean, we had everybody from fans on the street to the Prince of uh, Wales condemning the league and saying that they were going to do everything that they possibly could to stop it. So it became clear uh, Monday evening into Tuesday morning that it wasn't going to be unten- it wasn't going to be tenable. Uh, yesterday, the six teams, it started off with uh, Chelsea and Manchester City, who are both owned by, uh, who are owned by Qatar and Abu Dhabi uh, investment arms. So it's not like they, mm-hmm. um, well, well, Chelsea's owned by Roman Abramovich. Um, the uh, Abu Dhabi investment arm is who owns Manchester City. So it's not like they exactly need the, the money. They were just in it for fear of getting left behind, and they decided, like, this amount of aggravation isn't worth the money that we could make. So they backed out, and uh, by this morning, uh, all six teams had back, and from England had backed out, and uh, the project was basically dead. So within 48 hours, it looks like this whole entire thing just collapsed in on itself. And it's just become symbolic of an epic fail that was born out of greed. Hmm. Isn't a lot of things that that way, Mike, today, uh, just about the greed and the almighty dollar. I mean, you look at baseball with uh, dealing with uh, Red China, and then I, mm-hmm. I just uh, read a story the other day that uh, uh, Major League Baseball had made an agreement uh, with Cuba uh, that Cuban players that would come into the U.S., the salaries would be sent to the Cuban government for dis- distribution to them, you know, because it's communistic. I mean, it, you know, it's it's a sad state on things that are going on, but it's all about the dollar, isn't it? 
Well, I, it, let me make this point, Roger, and I, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Like, financially, um, soccer is not exactly in the best place, right? You know, we know about the biggest teams, and these are the 12 biggest teams in the world, and even they're suffering. Uh, COVID has hit them hard. I think Barcelona has uh, over $300 million in debt. Um, a third of that is due within 90 days after the end of the season. Like, they are in significant financial trouble. Um, Manchester United also in significant financial trouble or in significant debt, right? But that's not even the worst part about it. You have some of these uh, minor league and lower league teams where they're running and the teams are running at 125% of revenue is spent on player salaries over the course of the season. So financially, something does need to be done. Like COVID has just decimated it. But this wasn't the way to do it because it's not going to put money into the pyramid. It's not going to filter down, right? If they were to do this and say, hey, we were going to create this league, and what's going to happen is we're going to take that $10 billion that Jamie Dimon is going to give us, and we're going to give us half of it to the respective um, federations throughout Europe for distribution. I think it would have been more palatable. But it was just clear, like, these guys wanted the power to negotiate their own television revenues. They wanted to be able to do their own thing. And most of the money that they were going to get was going to go into their pocket. You know, so there was no sort of, you know, being saying, like, oh, we were doing this for money would have been one thing that people would have appreciated if the money was going to go back into the, uh, the lower leagues, which is where so much of the money from the Champions League, which they don't want to give up, goes a significant portion of the television revenue from the Champions League each year and from all the European competitions goes to, you know, poor confederations and, you know, like Moldova and places like that uh, to support soccer development. Tell me. Yeah, so think about that when you, when you think about the graces, what they've done against for the other Tampa franchises when they first bought the organizations up there. I think once they get their hands in soccer, they'll find some way to screw it up. And, and they did. It's just they should be, they should get their hands, uh, get, get, get out of that soccer league and let the, let the, let the French and let the English people handle their own soccer leagues. They, I mean, look what they've done. The NFL's their, the Bucks are a total wreck and they went to do the other teams that used to use Tampa, I mean, slash Tampa Stadium, slash Ray J. You had a team, the Tampa Bay Mutiny, and Frank vouched for this. They they want, they want them out of the business, and the way they handled the Tampa Bay Lightning prior to the Jeff Finnick group, it was just one thing after another up there. So I, and I, I'm, I'm, I feel bad that the soccer team, that the soccer league fell through, but that's behind that situation. That's why it did, Mike, you know, and, and you know it's it's just it's just a crying shame. Leave leave the soccer leagues alone overseas to Malcolm Gla- to Brian Glazer. Stick with your NFL club, and that's it. And that's the, that's coming from my heart because everything you touch over there turns bad. And this day, stay in your stay in the NFL. That's about it. That's about it, God, Mike. It's just a it's just a sad day in soccer and yeah, everything I- else. I think the best thing, well, the whole, as a family, they're not particularly publicly involved in the team. You know, Joe Glazer, 
shows up every once in a while. And I think in the entire time that he's owned the team, he's given two interviews. One of them was right after he bought them. And today he gave an interview apologizing for the decision. But I think, you know, if they don't sell the team, which probably right now they should, um, and just divest themselves from the asset, take the profit and move on, um, they, they really would be advised to just lay as low as possible for as long as possible yep. because people, um, especially soccer fans, have an extremely long memory, and they don't forget exactly. that easily. You know, there are still people in England who, who believe that there was a foul in the 1966 World Cup, and England won mm-hmm. that tournament, and they're still grousing about right. that. So you can imagine right. how long a memory they're going to have for what you almost destroyed their entire domestic sport. So Exactly. That's terrible. And, I, 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 you know, kid. it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help matters that with them, no. um, you know, Liverpool is owned by the Fenway Sports Group, led by John Henry. And Arsenal, mm-hmm. who are also involved in this, are owned by Stan Kroenke. So at the forefront of this, you have three American owners plus a hedge fund group that owns um, AC Milan. So right now there's not a lot of people over in Europe who are happy with the Americans. You have two Roger. NFL owners that major one Major League Baseball, right, Mike? John Henry yeah. of the Red Sox. And then yeah. uh, the other mm-hmm. two, obviously, uh, NFL owners. And I know they look at this from a pure financial standpoint, and they're not wrong. You know, business loves certainty. If you have a closed league, um, it invites longer uh, – uh, longer-term investment because businesses are more apt to make long-term investments when they know the consistency of the product that they're getting. But that sort of franchise system that we have over here in the United States with um, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, all of our, our leagues is foreign to European sports where it's a pyramid system. And I've said a number of times, you know, theoretically we – could go over and start a team in Europe, in England, and they would give us games. And in 11 years, if people invested enough, you know, conceivably we could play in the Premier League. Um, that's not likely, but it's possible, right? And around here, that doesn't help. And, you know, the right. ethos is you, if you want to be in the top of the league, if you want to be in the championship, you need to earn it. They don't reward poor performance. You can't be mm-hmm. the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates and be perennially inept and expect to <laughs> be successful. That That's is true. true. No time for the pirates up there and that, but I, but but I, I just feel bad for the soccer is a worldwide sport, and it's just a great sport to watch, great sport to, sport to play in. And every time there's a soccer match on, I try to sit and watch it. I'm like I seen Rodney Marsh go up against uh, Pele, and this was the old. National North American Soccer League back in the 70s, and I seen those two guys go up against each other, and wow, that was that was soccer back then when Pele put on a show, and Rodney Morris tried to look one way or the other way with the Rowdies, but in the footnote, guys, the Tampa Bay Rowdies back when Rodney Morris was playing in the 70s, won Tampa Bay's first ever championship of a league of any kind, so you can't you've got to thank the Rowdies and then try to bring them back and add this. It would be so great to try bring bring them back a top league of any kind up there. It would be wonderful. And, you know, I, I support them tremendously because, you know, they did play the games in the old Bayfront, Frank, and everybody. Remember that? 
That was the indoor soccer league, the mountain. And that, that was fun to watch. But on a Saturday night, you watch lots of teams go against each other. And, 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 and Cleveland had the same team in Cleveland Force. And I called it, you know, Southern, I called it Northern, Southern Northern Hockey without, without the hockey sticks. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about down there. But, but you know, getting, getting back to soccer, I just, I just wish the, they would stay out of that league. Let the league run itself. You know, they almost stood up a beautiful league, which ran for many, many years. And these guys get over there. They fought the Bucks years ago. They think they could buy everything under the sun, but it doesn't happen that way. The state and the stay in the National Football League. That's where you belong and stay there. Yeah, I agree with you. They've been doing it over there since the eight, since the late uh, 19th century. I think they figured it out. Exactly. I, hey, mean, Mike, Mike, I have a question for you. Um, yeah. You said that uh, that uh, most about 125 percent of their annual revenue goes to uh, to player salary. Um, yeah. In the uh, second uh, division of England right now, the stat is that uh, on average, uh, Frank, right. they're paying 125 percent of revenue on salary. Mm. Right. And and my question is, can they then? Um, to save their their uh, their league, can they go back and renegotiate these salaries, or do they, these salaries set in stone and they go bankrupt? Well, once the, uh, the, the once the contract signed under European law, it's kind of you're stuck with it, right? So mm-hmm. if you wanted to get rid of it, you would either have to sell or go bankrupt, or um, look for outside investment uh, of. One of the teams, um, Sheffield Wednesday, it's a favorite team of mine simply because how many times do you find what a day of the week in the name of a sporting team? But uh, they used to be popular in the U.S. because uh, John Harks, who was a U.S. player, played for them uh, back in the late 90s. Um, They recently had a major points deduction because their owner – was shifting money around uh, surreptitiously between column A and column B to make it mm. so that the books the, the, uh, books were balanced, right? And they got hit mm. with a massive points deduction that's going to end up with them getting relegated from the uh, second tier down to the third, right? Which is going to make mm. it even more ten- untenable. Uh, we just had uh, late last year uh, one team go bank declare bankruptcy after like 30 days. It was the strangest saga ever um, because of COVID. And another team went plumb out of business after over 100 years. Uh, the dream is to make it to the Premier League. Uh, you know, if you're a second division team in England, you want to make it to the Premier League because that comes with a hundred million pound check the day that you win that uh, you win promotion. Wow. Roger, you're going to be up next, and uh, I know the Sixers are down by one point to the Suns. I, I just turned around. And, uh, your turn, Roger. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, Mike, I, well, the Braves are up over the uh, Yankees uh, 3 nothing, bottom right. of the seventh. But, uh, Mike, I, what I was going to uh, t- talk about uh, was that uh, the uh, – I just got it right here. I, I, I held it. I see the uh, United 2. You know the uh, developmental uh, team. Uh, they just mm-hmm. picked up uh, a guy that was a uh, super draft pick from Notre Dame, and that was mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Aiden McFadden. 
two, made 55 career appearances, 44 starts at, uh, the, with the Irish, and finished with eight goals, six assists. And he's from Westchester, PA. So uh, what, what's your opinion of that young man? Honestly, Roger, I'm going to tell you, I don't know a lot about him. Uh, the fact that he went in the Super Draft after playing in college and is 22 probably means that he wasn't on the radar of uh, the Philadelphia Union. College soccer in the U.S. is suffering a lot um, from the development of these developmental academies for all the uh, professional teams. So the uh, MLS teams are getting these players at younger and younger ages, getting in them into their academies they're sending them to school with the caveat that they play for them right so the best talent is getting picked up you see teams like uh the philadelphia union don't even participate in the mls draft anymore because they don't feel like it's a viable uh tool for player um recruitment right so Mm -hmm. if he's getting picked up and assigned to uh atlanta united too uh their developmental team it's likely that you know, they're going to give him a look. He'll, he's getting the opportunity to play professional soccer, which is, you know, it, it's, it's something that he's probably wanted to do for, uh, for his whole life. So kudos right. to him. And it's not unusual that a player, you know, develops after 22. Maybe he'll get a shot. Uh, Ray Gaddis, who just retired from the union earlier this year, he was a um, – uh, MLS draft pick for the union and became one of their most successful tenured players. So, you know, we'll just follow his career and see where it goes. Tommy, mm-hmm. you're up next. Uh, Yankees are having a little problem right now. They're uh, down 3 nothing, as Roger said, but they have a couple guys on and two outs in the bottom of the seventh. So uh, we'll see what happens between Atlanta and uh, New York Yankees as we continue the program. Tommy? Oh, it'd be interesting. Mike, I'm swinging, swinging over to hockey right now. Uh, Capitals, what do you think about the Capitals for the final uh, for this final run for the jockey for position right now? Is, is Charles back to health right now? Um, I, I think he's playing again. He's practicing again. Um, so they're going to want to get him as healthy as, as possible for the playoffs. Um, it's hard to know, Tommy, what to think at this point. You and I have agreed on this for months. It's hard to know what to right. think of, with, with them playing the same teams over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, I promise you every time I wake up, the uh, the Capitals are playing the Rangers. It's like ground. <laughs> every time I wake up, the Lightning's playing Columbus or they're playing Carolina. <laughs> They're doing every, every the Columbus is in Carolina's in town for two weeks. Now you got Columbus in town tomorrow night and Sunday night. And then they go on the road to Dallas or somewhere like that. But I just I just want to get the season over with, get the first round of playoffs over, then we be back to normal, back to normal hockey again. You know, for the second I think round the big playoffs. development is though that the uh, that DC has relaxed the uh, venue restrictions which means that the Cavs can have, I believe, up to 2,100 fans. In. So they'll Good. be having their first game with fans coming up, I believe, tomorrow. The uh, Wizards are playing tonight at home against uh, Golden State, and that's their first game with fans in the stadium. 
So right. it'll be interesting to see for the playoffs how that dynamic changes. You know, the acoustics are – the Caps are going to sell out. I don't right. care who they're playing, but they're going to sell so out all of these. And, you know, 2,100 Caps fans can seem – awfully loud, maybe not as loud as 21,000, but they can make a lot of noise. I think that'll add a different uh, edge to the game that we haven't seen all season. But as far as the Caps are going, they just want to maintain uh, health and get the playoff rotation in order, you know, and get home home ice advantage through at least the first round, you know, if not, um, I think it's going to be a little bit hard to get it through the entire playoffs because of how far ahead Tampa Bay is right now, but at least get it through the first round or two of the playoffs. Um, get some home cooking right. and not having to travel regularly and get your playoff rotation set. They've got some new pieces that they put into place at the trade deadline. See, get those all, get them all together and um, get ready. This is a veteran team. They know what they're doing. And that window mm-hmm. is getting closer and closer and closer to closed. So, uh, oh, you know, this may be one of the last years or two that they have to make a serious Stanley Cup run. Just talking about the Rays. The Rays right now, again, are up 4-2. to two. They're trying to take a three-game series from Kansas City and continue their winning streak. But uh, let's go back to the, the Washington football team. Uh, oh Best man available? Well, what are we talking about? You guys brought me on in the first place today to talk about Jordan Reed retiring. Alex I could have been Smith wrong. retiring. Yeah, Jordan Reed retired too. But I'm pretty mm. sure you all missed that because I would have missed it too if I hadn't caught it at the tail end of my commute the other day. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> oh. So what's up with the Washington football team now? Uh, yeah. Um, Don, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I don't know what to tell you about them. The uh, – The latest news on them is they still don't have a name, um, and they could draft anywhere. They could trade up. They could trade down in the draft. Uh, Basically, nobody knows what's going on with them at this point. (laughs) That takes care of that, then. Roger, you're up. That's it. Well, that that says it all. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Nationals. uh, Mm. they've, They've had some ups and downs. What do you think, Mike? Uh, Patrick Corbin and Joe Ross, um, Joe Ross got lit the other night. I think he gave up 10 earned runs in like three innings. The uh, bullpen, which was supposed to be a strength, has been a little bit uh, shaky. The offense hasn't really taken off uh, beyond Juan Soto. So they're definitely struggling. They're not getting much pitching beyond Max Serzer. Uh, Strasburg has been working his way back after the injury that kept him out all of last year. But uh, as far as Corbin, uh, Lester, and uh, Ross in the bullpen, they just haven't been able to get the pitching to keep them in. So it's been a kind of a rocky start to the season for the Nats. But then again, they had a really rocky season to start to the season of the year. They won the uh, World Series in 19. So who knows? It's still early days. That's right. Update on the Yankees. Mayu uh, just uh, grounded out to end the seventh inning. The Yankees had the bases loaded two outs. Mayu had a grab ball to third base to end the seventh inning. The Braves still lead 3 nothing. And, Mike, I'll tell you, we're touching all kinds of sports with you here tonight. So, Tommy, go ahead. 
No, this be the last one. We got the we got Doug on hold for being my last question to you, Mike. It's just comical right now. I mean, Washington has no football team nickname right now. Now, the Indians are going to get rid of Chief Wahoo after this next year. What's this world coming to? Those are the two logos that everybody's seen for over 100 years with the Washington logo and the Chief Wahoo logo. Those are the, those are the two people, I mean, teams that everybody sees. Nothing wrong with the, nothing wrong with the Chief Wahoo. If you look at the Indies Media Guide a couple of years ago, they did a tribute about the, what's the chief look like. I mean, the, the chief way they took the name and the history of it. And, and most of the people I talked to in Cleveland, they said, it's just it's politics. They want to get rid of the Wahoo and make another item they can do for that way. But I must say, what's this world coming to Mike? Uh, thank you for your time. I believe we have Mr. Doug Hamilton on. Mike, mm-hmm. always have a blessing. I'll catch you all next week then. Uh, okay, take care, Mike. Nice to have you with us. Have a good one. Have a Thank good you, Mike. As we, get to, as we get to Doug down, our PGA uh, professional, uh, his new operation, new club that he's running, new foot, new complete operation. And uh, uh, But before we get to that, uh, the Orioles are playing a little bit better than I think most people thought. Doug, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. I think they're, uh, what, 8 and 10, which... I guess if you do the math, they're going to win, you know, 70-some games this year, which I think would be, you know, a step in the right direction. So, um, you know, certainly I don't know if they can continue that pace, but I think that, um, you know, I I think that they're making a lot of the right moves in terms of letting their guys develop, you know, in the minor leagues. And, and, um, you know, we'll see uh, what they do when it comes time to, make some deals at the trade deadline, whether it's, um, you know, getting rid of established veterans or, um, you know, pieces that won't be a part of their rebuilding future. Uh, that could be Mancini. That could be Matt Harvey. That could be bullpen guys. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they've got some decent pieces that might, you know, Franco's been playing pretty well. Um, you know, Galvis is playing pretty well. I mean, there might be somebody out there who, um, you know, likes one of those guys or some of those guys that they can get some prospects for and continue the rebuild process. I mean, they're, you know, steadily drafting in the top 10 and, and uh, trying to just stockpile those draft picks and, and establish a, a really good minor league system. So, I mean, I think hopefully this can last if they, if they do it right. Well, before we get to the golf, how about a quick update uh, as, as we keep talking about different sports over the course of the night, uh, uh-huh. they're, Draft's coming up. What about the Ravens? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what the Ravens do with their draft picks. I mean, it's um, it's always an unknown quantity. I mean, they've for years drafted the best player available, regardless of need. Um, you know, I think that Eric DaCosta has made, you know, the, the, the baton, if you will, had been, had been passed between Ozzie Newsom and him, and I think that he's continued the tradition of making, you know, good selections. Um I think this is an interesting year because I think they have some very profound needs, um, you know, in pass rusher and back end of their secondary uh, wide receivers always, you know, a need for them. Um, getting stronger on the offensive and defensive lines, um, you know, obviously is, is, is part of their mantra. So, um, I mean, they pick, uh, I think 27th in the first round. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they have a handful of players that they like, will they, tr- will they trade back and try to get some more draft picks or, you know, is there that one player that they really covet that they're willing to move up to get? Um, I don't know. You know, I know that 
monetarily speaking, the salary cap isn't necessarily their friend. Uh, I think they have some money available. I think they've hosted a couple of free agents. I think for them, uh, their their interest level is, um, I believe, if they sign individuals after May 3rd, it doesn't count against uh, their compensatory picks that they would get, you know, next year. So I think they're trying to figure out ways to get more draft picks next year with some of the guys they lost in in um, in Gakwe and Judon and countless others. So, um, you know, I mean, they're always trying to do the right thing. I know they've hosted Justin Houston. I know that Melvin Ingram is still out there in terms of a veteran pass rusher that they could probably get for a year or two. I believe they were hosting uh, the tackle from the Steelers, Villanueva, um, as an option, whether he moves to guard or whether they're trying to figure out a way to stick him in there at one of the right tackle or left tackle positions and, and unload, you know, Orlando Brown or uh, Ronnie Stanley. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I mean, as we get closer to the draft, um, they may make a move or two. I don't know. Roger? Does the um... – Getting back to the, the uh, Ravens, what do you think uh, will be their uh, primary uh, uh, air, area of draft? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- defense, offense. You know, I, I was I've been listening to one of five seven a good bit. Um, you know, obviously, obviously, as I get closer to work in the mornings, and then you know, until I get to a certain point on my way home, but. Um, I didn't realize that uh, that Rob Ryan is their linebacking coach. I didn't realize that. I don't know where I've been, but they, they – I don't know if this is recent or not, but he's their linebacking coach. I was like, wow. I was like, I didn't – I mean, he was the head coach at one point in time. That's, that's pretty Did he crazy. Clean up, but, I believe that he, that he I, worked for John and uh, be in disarray the way he always was, weight-wise, hair-wise, sure. everything. That's not the John's mode of operandi. It's probably not, but I guarantee you Rob Ryan can tell you where to get the best cheesesteak in Maryland. I, I mean, you know, you he, he's, not right. gonna, he's not going to change completely. I mean, he may cut his hair or go to some grease and formula or some, you know, cover some <laughs> of the grays. I don't know what he's going to do, but, um, you know, I think, I mean, he's an aggressive kind of guy, and I think that uh, Wink Martindale is the same. Um, I think that it lends itself. I mean, the Ravens offensively are fairly strong, um, you know, in their running back and obviously quarterback. You know, we've talked about wide receivers uh, for years, um, you know, but a wide receiver in this this style of offense, you know, certainly needs to be probably more of a big-bodied guy that um, can block and, and, and do some different things. Um, obviously, they're not a big passing offense. Uh, so I, I think defensively, they have a strong need for um, a playmaking safety, and they have to figure out a way to get some pass rushers on that on that defense. I mean, it's just, you know, they lost their two best, which weren't really even that, that strong. But the Ravens, I mean, I, I can't even remember the last time they had a bona fide, you know, pass rusher. I mean, you, you probably have to go back to, you know, the years that start with, with 19. I mean, Peter Boulware maybe? I don't know. I can't I, – I'm, I'm drawing a blank in terms of, of thinking who that might be. They've always had, uh, you know, good out, good outside linebackers, but they were more edge setter kind of guys that, that were interested in making tackles and playing the run and, and in coverage, you know. Geez, uh, back to Jared Johnson, Adelius Thomas, um, you know, a host of guys that, that played that position very well. But, you know, 
uh, all in all, they've always had strong defensive lines, um, you know, and, and that gave Ray Lewis the, the ability to, to make a whole bunch of tackles. They've always had guys in that middle linebacking spot that were just tackling machines. Um, I mean, gosh, when you when you have guys like Ed Reed in that backfield there, I mean, you know, playmaking secondaries that, that were ball hawkers that could just, you know, pick balls off. And, and defensively, they, they've always added pressure in, in different ways, whether they were exotic looks or, or different types of blitzes or, you know, secondary type blitzes, um, you know, coverage sacks. I mean, those sorts of things allowed them always to play strong defense. And they've always been strong against the run, uh, which is primarily built, um, you know, in that front seven. So, um they they have to find a way to find a pass rusher. I don't I don't know where they can acquire that at the twenty seventh pick. I mean I think the the draft is fairly deep in that sense, but at the same time, um you know, whether they draft on need or, or best player available, I couldn't tell you. I mean I don't I don't think that anybody thought that they would pick J. K. Dobbins last year, um, as a running back considering the, the strength of, of their backfield, but you know, he fell to them and they took him because he was the best player available. So I mean you just never know. Doug, the, uh, the apple doesn't far, far from the tree, and that uh, Buddy Ryan and his kids are exactly <laughs> like Buddy. They're they're attackers. They don't believe they don't believe in settling back and uh, and letting the the opposition set the tone. They like to set the tone. Roger, you're up. Well, I was agreeing with that as, as far as the uh, Ryan twins, but then you look at Rex; he's pretty much settled in uh, in as a TV guy. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and seems to do a pretty good job, but um, what do you, the what do you think about? It's going to be is it the Ravens and the Steelers as usual, mm-hmm. uh, or what do you think about Cleveland? Uh, you know, uh, coming in, I think well, they're going to be very strong. For sure, I, I think it's a very strong division. I mean, obviously, I think the the Bengals are more of your bottom dwellers because of um, mm-hmm. recent years and losses and. I mean, Joe Burrow and, and, and continued draft picks, I think, are going to enhance that squad, of course. But the Browns are stinking good. I mean, the Browns are a bona fide playoff football team, you know, that I think starts and ends with uh, the quarterback position. And I mean, I think that if Baker Mayfield continues to take steps forward, they're going to be a tough team to reckon with. Um, you know, the Steelers are always the Steelers. They're always a good football team. They're extremely well coached. It's, it's a great um, organization from top to the you know to the bottom. I think that Ben Roethlisberger is obviously you know a little long in the tooth, and I think that they've had some issues with salary cap um, in terms of. I mean, I, the Steelers will find a way to to win football games for sure, but I mean, I think it, it is. I think it's the Ravens and the Browns. I think that's really your your two top teams in that division. And uh, when they release what? the schedule here in another month or so, we'll see how strong that that uh, that schedule is. Doug, let's you know, get to Don, your old bailiwick as a PGA mm-hmm. professional. Uh, what do you think about That's a right. senior citizen going down to Hilton Head and winning this mm-hmm. this past weekend? He's won three times down there over the years. But mm-hmm. uh, he was, uh, I want to tell you, for those people that are, we were talking gambling a little bit, he was 125 to 1 <laughs> to win that tournament last week. Yeah. So if you bet on him, you made a lot of money. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, well, I mean, look, you know, I think. Um, you know, I'll be 47 in August. So, um, you know, I, I, I always enjoy a great story and, and rooting for um, a guy like that who probably wasn't supposed to win, but um, obviously played well enough to win. And, and, you know, Don, we've talked about this uh, over the course of time and how 
mercurial the, the PGA Tour is and how loaded it is with talent that on any given week, um, if somebody can put a couple good days together, they can, uh, you know, land themselves at the top of the leaderboard. And, and um, I mean, we've seen these stories over the years with um, all kinds of guys. I mean, you know, Jack Nicklaus wasn't supposed to win the Masters in 86, and Tom Watson certainly wasn't supposed to compete for the British Open the year. Um, you know, Kenny Perry, I mean, all, all these, you know, types of guys that have, you know, you know, later on, I mean, they even look at Tiger Woods into his 40s, you know, winning the Masters uh, a couple of years ago. So, you always got to root for the great story. And, I mean, these uh, young bucks on tour, and they're they're loaded with guys. Uh, what the, what's the guy's name? Will uh, Zalatoris or whatever. They played pretty well there. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there are a dime a dozen, uh, those 20-something-year-olds that can just hit it a mile and, and, and play really great golf in terms of being college All-Americans or, or whatever experience level they have that it's, incredible i mean how good these guys are but i mean for stewart sink to win that um i was rooting for him you know i think it's wonderful it's a great story tell me you're up it's a great story doug when you think about it and and i watched the masters a couple weeks ago and i watched this tournament here Doug, how these guys are these guys not even swing hard with a club and and (laughs) take that there in the 60s and 70s you know when nicholas has made that one turn come through it Every inch of body, these young kids just to look at their wrists is out there, 370, 300, over 300 yards. What's the difference? Is the difference because the clubs are made different? Compression of the balls mm-hmm. than back in the 60s and 70s, you think? Well, there's, I think there's a host of, uh, you know, differences. I mean, obviously, if you know, you look back into the days of of persimmon heads and, um, yeah. you know, technology as it was for a lot of those guys. I mean, the golf swing in the old reverse C days, if you will, was, was built the shafts and, and um, you know, club heads and, and all these different things have evolved over time that has required, you know, the game uh, and, and the golf swing and, and all the technologies to change. Um, you know, I think that, um, gosh, I remember getting my first ever metal uh, wood, uh, you know, my dad bought me the old tailor-made gray-headed five wood that I just thought I was just, you know, king shit, you know, having that thing in my golf bag, you know, and, and I used to hit that thing from, from tee to green, and, um, you know, you you look at that thing now, it's the size of a hybrid, you know, you look at the drivers back in the day, it's the size of a seven wood, you know, <laughs> things have really changed uh, over time, the golf ball, um, you know, the the magnitude of the shaft that helps you get the ball into the air and all these different things are so, you know, technologically advanced. I mean, you know, these, these kids nowadays, you know, they, they, they think that, you know, four, 460 CC heads are, are standard, you know, I mean, hell that, that was two times what it used to be. Um, you know, and, right. and the man, you look at all these golf courses that have changed. I mean, yeah, oh, you, yeah. you think so. You think some of these guys, you talk about driving accuracy and how far they hit it. You think they wanted to play Oakmont Country Club back in the day when it was, you know, tree-lined and, and all these different things. I mean, all these golf courses are are changing their, their structures of eliminating all these different trees to make it wide open. You can hit it anywhere, you know. Um, I mean, you, you stick some of these guys on these Donald Ross-type um, undulating greens right. uh, from yesteryear mm-hmm. that – you know, that maybe aren't the same as, as they are now. I mean, there's all kinds of, I mean, you know, the parents drop their kids off 
you know, nowadays at the golf course in the summer, and they spend all day there hitting golf balls and eating sandwiches yeah, and exactly. chipping and then playing with their buddies. I mean, back in the day, it wasn't right. it wasn't quite the same. You know, you add in fitness, you add in, you know, all these different things. You know, you get these kids that go to those uh, special schools in Florida, Don, that you talked about, the, um, you know, where they, they, they almost get they get their education and they play golf all day. I mean, you know, if, if a kid got out of school at 3 o'clock and could play till it got dark, I mean, that was what he did. Nowadays, they play golf all day. You know, it's, exactly. it's a job. Hey, Doug, so, I mean, there's Tommy. a host of different You're up, Tommy. Sure. No, the thanks just tick 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 tock, so we gotta we gotta stop. <laughs> oh darn it interesting down there. So <laughs> Yeah. Darn it. Consider that continue that next week, Doug. A great topic. Sure I thing. love it. Absolutely. Thank Take care, for Doug. Coming Have on. a great week. Yeah, man. Thank you guys. Doug, thanks a lot. Frank, another great job by you. And always good to get together with you guys. We'll do it again next Wednesday. And oh. thank you very much. Have a Thank great you, Don, week. God bless. Thank you, Frank. You're the man. Without uh, you, we don't uh, have any show. And uh, take right. care of that family first. Yes, that's right. Thank take you. care of the thank family you. first. I'd like to, like to thank everybody for coming on, Mr. Don Henderson, Mr. Roger Handler. Um, of course, Frank, you do a great job down there. And then special special tribute for Mr. Roy Cummings coming out and, and Vince Patali and and you know, and then Jeff Torborg. I had asked that question, Frank, about Cleveland Stadium and American Ship, and I think they made us night. <laughs> so, Frank, to my family, your family, God bless, and have a great week. And people, when you're on, people use common sense. When you're on the road, click your ticket and just be just be nice to your neighbor, Frank. God bless you, Frank. Great job as always. Okay, thank you, Tommy. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and, we, men and women of police and fire services. When they're out there and you see somebody in, in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. These are very, very, very tough times for guys in uniform. <clears throat> these programs are also dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Trevor Yaswitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafu Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogle, Long Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Brian Le- <clears throat> Highway Patrolman Amonzo Moses, Philadelphia Police Department, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Fire Department. Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA, Highway Patrol. <clears throat> Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. Chief Mike, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Robert Germain, Wilhelmere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Cutloff, Sergeant James O'Connor, Wilmington, the Philadelphia Fire Police Department, Delaware State Trooper Sergeant Roddy Bond, Lieutenant Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio, FDLE, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Bauer, 
Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Matt, <clears throat> Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, W. Will, Bill Gentry, Highlands County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay, Zer- Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, <clears throat> Officer Bob McKinchin, Lucky, Kentucky Police Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Sergeant Brian Levate, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Mike Malik, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, though, you may be 10-7 at this point in time. At some time, we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise out to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly in your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night and God bless.
Bob. We love you and we miss you.